Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Sunbury Motors, North 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motors Studio, here's Steve Jones. Sunbury Motors, Fourth Street in Sunbury, Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 to 15, Almost Wharf online, sunburymotors.com. Ford, Kia, Hyundai, best in new inventory with great warranties, fabulous pre owned inventory with the Sunbury Motors guarantee which is so important to your buying experience, especially when the budget screams at you and says, I think pre-owned might be the way to go. And a fabulous service department that backs it all up for the life of the vehicle with great technicians, all at Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury, Sunbury Motors, Kia, routes 11 and 15, almost Wharf and online at sunburymotors.com. Time now for our play-by-play call of the day. Embiid, shake and bake. Oh! I think they're going to win. <laughs> Good feeling. Embiid puts it down. Joel Embiid has got a 50 burger. The MVP race is over. I, I, I'm really. The man just scored half our points in the NBA game. And I'm biased, but the MVP race is over. You, sir, are my hero. The Sixers began the game in third place. When the game was over, they were still in third place. Am I inaccurate about anything there, Matt? No, senor! No, senor! No, senor! Just want to make sure. I mean, MB was phenomenal last night, but he's had a you know he's had a great career, and this has been a phenomenal season for him. Time now to bring him into the show for the first time, and this guy is going to do a great job with the program. That is John Griffin, the head basketball coach at Bucknell. John, absolute pleasure. Welcome to the show. Steve, thanks for having me. I'm uh, excited to be on with you. All right. So, you know this landscape as well as anybody. What are some elements that have made Bucknell successful that will be critical in your formula moving forward? Ooh, it's a big question right there to start it off. Um, <laughs> we, we try not to go with the easy ones. <laughs> yeah, you went. Let's go. Let's hit it. Let's go. Um, well, there's a couple. There's a couple. I think important um, facts. I think one uh, historically, Bucknell's brand has been associated with the NCAA tournament. Yes, and um, I think that still holds great value as we just witnessed an amazing quote-unquote March Madness, like an amazing month Mm -hmm. um, that ended with a great Final Four that didn't include any Power Five programs. So that brand association still holds true. Uh, Mm -hmm. I think that um, right now the community uh, uh, as well as the campus uh, are excited and and there's been um, support, loyal support for the last you know since I've been involved with the program, and it's and it's been an amazing uh, a tool for us in the world of recruiting, but it's been a major advantage for us as it relates to the Patriot League in general. Um, I'm looking forward to reigniting both campus and community, and kind of showing 
how great of a of a fan base we really have. And then uh, finally, just utilizing our network. I mean, I think that we Bucknell is is nationally known for its its academic elements, and uh, within our program, we have amazing alumni doing great things. And in today's landscape, where finding a job is as competitive as it's ever been. I think there are a lot of elements in in athletics right now that can pull you many different ways with the portal and all these buzzwords of the NIL world and um, (laughs) that of which I'm very familiar with, but we have such a strong brotherhood and Bucknell has such an amazing network that I uh, plan to use, invite into the program, and make sure that our players um, have some world of a network when they leave. See, you can handle the questions. You're fine. Yeah, there I got go. it. No, no, I yeah, got you, it. You got, I thought you, you were going to talk You're... about Dick Girardi or something. That's coming up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to DJ in a moment. <laughs> at right, some point. All right, all right. But, but, you know, you learn something at every stop, John. And one of your first stops was being a video coordinator for the Indiana Pacers. Now, for those who may not realize, what do you think Eric Spolstra did early on? before he became the head coach of the Miami Heat. Same kind of job. What did you pick up being in that environment? And I know it was more than a decade ago, but being in that environment that now applies to the college game. Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. I, I think it's a question that I don't, um, probably, I don't get asked enough because Eric Spolstra, when I did it, was, was the person I looked up to as to like what the result could be. Um, so what you learn in that position, the, the video coordinator position, um, first of all, it's widely referred to the office anyway as, as a dungeon. You normally mm-hmm. only yeah. computer screens, no windows. And what it taught me at a really early stage in my career, that there's no uh, substitute for hard work. Yes. So that kind of encompasses a lot of different realms in basketball as it relates to the NBA, they are experts through my eyes, all the coaches in the NBA, all the people I've been around in the world of basketball. They study it religiously. They basically have their PhD in basketball. So in order for you to make sure that everyone's on the same page in the NBA, even though you're at the bottom end of the totem pole, you learn how important it is to be really good at what you're doing. Um, and it was it's a pillar for me because as I've moved around in my career, I've had many different roles. But it started with just straight work. Um, on top of that, the other elements that have been a major part of my coaching philosophy, I learned the significance of data and analytics. Yes. And I've yeah. learned um, the significance of, of visuals and film as it relates to teaching. Um, and then finally, you know what? Like the NBA gets kind of put on a pedestal because these players are so elite, but relationships are still most important. They still hold true as one of the strongest ways to help a player improve. So I learned a lot, as you can see. It was a great experience for me. Yeah, I mean, there's so many elements that come out of the NBA, the angles with which they set screens, the ability mm-hmm. to pick out matchups, right? That's why I always laugh. We always refer to it. Dick and I refer to it as the Where's Waldo. <laughs> yeah, right. That's right. Find the. You got to find the one. 
find the one. I asked right. somebody one time, how do you know? He says, watch the tape. It'll stick out yeah. to you like a sore thumb. <laughs> <laughs> I think I might have been Waldo at some points in my career, so I know it well. Hey, John, I spent, whenever I played, I've spent my entire time, no matter what it was, being the Waldo. All right, so <laughs> it's a role I know well. Uh, working with Billy Lang, okay, that puts yeah. you on the bench. And obviously, he gave you a lot of responsibility. Yeah. But what did you pick up about that? Because now you're about to make that all-important move one chair over. Yeah, I mean, I, I was really fortunate to be with Billy during a four-year time where uh, there was a lot of hurdles. There was, uh, you know, COVID hurdle, then there was the transfer portal hurdle, then there's the NIL so I, I watched and was a, a part of making what at this point after four years seemed to be about a million decisions of, of whether it be uh, program branding or staffing or daily schedule. Everything was uh, built around creating an environment that was viewed as elite. Um, and so uh, having that experience really shaped and shaped my mind and given me great confidence and comfort in now the decisions that I'm making here in the first 10 days. Uh, but essentially, everything matters, from the gear uh, to the product on the floor to your ability to connect with people. Every touching point is important. And, um, you know, that, that was something that I learned very quickly with Billy. Uh, he's a, a great basketball mind. And, again, I view the NBA world as the elite of the elite as it relates to coaching he came from that world and so i got to kind of see the mind of someone that overviews everything schematically dissects it and then installs it with the and tries to execute it so it, it was a, a great four years for me i'm proud of the direction of the program we took over mm-hmm. um at a tough time and uh now you know the program's in a good spot with uh Everyone returning and a couple all league caliber players. It turned out in this particular year, the Atlantic 10 was a one bid league. Yeah. Uh, and you are now taking a head coaching job in what is definitely a one bid league. So, what kind of philosophy do you want to bring to the, your non conference schedule to then yeah. set up your conference schedule? Well, as most people. Uh, around here in Lewisburg and on campus that, that have spent time with me, they, they know I'm competitive. Yes. Um, but my time, uh, I've done scheduling now in a number uh, in a few different institutions, and I view it uh, in a couple couple ways, especially for us here at Bucknell with one big. One, to uh, give us an opportunity to play better athletic abilities, more talent, kind of shock the system a little bit in a, in preparation for an NCAA tournament appearance. That's one. But two, it's a great opportunity for us and for our players to be exposed to different areas of the country. I mean, my experience as a player, we played Pitt uh, when Pitt was top ten in the country, and there's an amazing setting for college basketball at that time. As a coach, I've been all over. I've been Cameron Indoor. We've been to Kansas. And, like, those type of experiences, ultimately, I'm hoping as we continue to recruit players that fit our style, system, and mission here, 
like they want they want that opportunity. Uh, but I'm going to make sure in our non-conference schedule that we get to pockets of the of the country that we have a strong alumni base as well as make it an, an unbelievable experience, and we're going to compete. So that's kind of my philosophy. Um, the wins and losses, of course, are always important, the number one piece of importance. So we'll make sure that there's a balanced schedule. I'm not going to play Duke and then Kansas uh, back-to-back. <laughs> See, again, there's the savvy right there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's the savvy right there. Uh, where are you right now on uh, coaching staff? Um, I'm, I'm almost finished. I've got a couple guys that I'm just finishing conversations with. I've spent the first 10 days really focused on the players, yeah. uh, really focused on the players. Uh, but I will be announcing that very shortly. Um, my experience with taking over a program you know players really dominate the majority of your life because there's so many moving parts now in the world of athletics which you know you're seeing you know at Penn State and beyond and so that's where I spent a lot of my time. John it's it's been my experience in doing this for as long as I have that part of the key it's it's a word that everybody hears it's ownership when you played at Bucknell your, you and your teammates had ownership of the program. You felt that strongly about it, and that's why you're back as head coach, because Bucknell means something to you. Right. How, how important a factor was that, because you had been meeting with your players, to then let them understand how important ownership is? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, these early conversations when you take over a program, and it's my first time doing it, so uh, I'm hoping I'm doing it the right way. Uh, but it's really more of a, a get to know them, and hopefully they build a, a little level of comfort in a short amount of time. But while getting getting to know them, I'll, I'm finding my ways of of giving them what I think is the required competitive spirit to wear the jersey. Um, as you just alluded to, there's great ownership from the guys that I played with, my teammates, Coach Flannery, the coaches that were a part of our program, the trainers, strength coach, during my time. Um, I still think that there's elements of that here in place. And now I just need to kind of do my part in educating them in the, the significance of the pride when it comes to, to competing. And once they learn, you know, how important it is and how much success they've had, I have, in what I've seen thus far in a couple workouts, they'll com- the competitive spirit will come out. And then again, and it's funny you say that, all I've been teaching is peer to peer elevation, expectation levels, and then they'll hold themselves accountable to the, to the, the ownership level that we're hoping that, uh, that they have. How did everything go from Matt down with Pat uh, down at Florida Gulf Coast? Uh, went well. I mean, it. <laughs> Every morning is 85 degrees. So yeah, tell you know, me about it. I'm yeah, no, Chambers. Yeah, Chambers will text me once in a while. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, I'm driving to work. It's 25 degrees. I have to defrost my car for 15 minutes, and he's already finished an eight-mile run at 75 degrees. His office looks over the baseball field, and uh, I'm not sure you can find a better climate to coach basketball. <laughs> Except the I, really, no, of I really don't think you can. 
<laughs> they have oh a beach on campus and multiple uh, pools. It's like a little bit of a country club. It sounds like Girardi's situation down in Yardley. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's probably right. He, usually he's got to yeah. pick up Coach Speedy Mars, and uh, then it's uh, all... Oh, oh, good with Dick Girardi uh, and, and Coach Mars. Then that's, John, that's the tandem right there. John, have you you would no, have no idea how many Speedy Morris stories I've heard? I mean, uh, unreal. I've heard I've heard them on the other end. They're amazing. Uh, yeah, I have to I have to quickly ask you about the influence of your dad in all yep. this because your dad did a terrific job as a head basketball coach. Now, obviously, you wanted to play and so forth. I got that part. But did, did it have any influence on your idea that you wanted to go into coaching? Of course. I mean, I, I was a, I've been around it my entire life in some yeah. facet or another. I was born into it. When I, I was born in Albany, New York, my father was the head coach at Siena. So what I've learned from him, uh, <clears throat> one, the power of relationships. Like, as a basketball coach, you're a teacher. Yes. That is the fundamental. That's your fundamental job. You're you're in place to leave uh, a lasting positive um, influence on young people, and so and he took that very very seriously. Now he's very competitive, and his intensity levels um, elevated to to try to hold his players to their to their best levels, and that was a, a major. That's a major part of who I am. But mm-hmm. you know what? Most importantly, what I really love, because when you're a son of a coach, you see both sides of the fence. You see the wins. The wins mm-hmm. are amazing for everybody. Fans, players, players' families, coaches' families, administrators, they're amazing. But then when you lose, you see the other side of it, and the emotions swing. Yes. And, the, and, a, and it's, a, it's a heavy swing. And so I've seen his ability to, to balance, to bounce back. Uh, he's got great faith. Um, and at, at the same time, again, he, he's always been a teacher. And that's my passion is the impact, not the wins and the losses. I'll be I'm competitive, and I'm a Philly guy, and I have a chip on my shoulder. I'm here to help these young people have a good experience during a really important time in their life. They couldn't have made a better choice, John. Congratulations on the job. Thank I you. know it's going to be, take a lot of hard work. You'll have our support yeah. as it goes through and appreciate you very much. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this relationship. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, John. John Griffin, basketball coach at Bucknell. You guys picked a winner. I can tell you that. You guys picked a winner. You saw him as a winner on the court, but you picked a winner as a coach. And that's moving forward. You're going to be very pleased with the results. I just got that feeling. We will come back with uh, more in a moment. I just want to check. Are you bitter about anything else? Or I'm fired up here from, from the, our new coach here. I'm excited for next winter. <laughs> okay. All right. I am. Looking forward to, to seeing him lead the way at Soikin next year. Okay. Looking well, forward to announcing for, his name and all that good stuff. Yes, for, for years. years. Exactly right. Going to be terrific here. All right, we'll come back. More in a moment. Jerry Dulac, final half hour here on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Okay.
There's something to be said about a sale with a handshake, a service technician who really knows what he's doing and can explain it in English what the problem is. There's nothing better than having that friend you could trust in the area. That's Sunbury Motors, where you get selection, knowledgeable salespeople, and prices that fit your budget, and more important, that friend you can trust. Welcome to Sunbury Motors, Kia, Ford, and Hyundai. You could shop other dealers and compare prices, but at Sunbury Motors, you get their lowest price promise. They research the current used vehicle market and guarantee their used car prices are the lowest. If you find a lower price, Sunbury Motors will beat it. Three dealers all in one. See their full new and pre-owned inventory at sunburymotors.com. Pick out a vehicle you like and schedule your test drive online. Follow them on Facebook. Sunbury Motors Ford and Hyundai, North 4th Street, Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. We spoke to Nick and Jill and Lou today, and their goals for the season, you know, they said was to win a national championship. As a coach, how do you balance those high expectations with just doing your job day and the next day and keeping like that one moment? Yeah, I love that. That's great. But I'm going to leave here and tell them they better focus on West Virginia. And, but I love that. But to me, you spend all these times talking, talking about goals and things way down the road, and that's fine to maybe talk about once or twice. But then you better spend most of your time focused on what you need to do to get there. Um, that, that's all that really matters. Are you willing to do what it takes to get there? And um, we spend very little time talking about kind of results and, and uh, goals. Exactly. For example, over the years, how often have you heard me talk about expectations, saying the team could do this or the team? I don't do that. There's a reason for it. You can't get there unless you take care of this week. I know you hate that part of the show, I know it drives you nuts. No, but that's what he should say because that's exactly the mentality that his players have to have. And guess what? For the most part, it's worked in his time here. Well, it's it has to be like that. It's, when you've done this a long time and have done as many games as I have, you really do learn quickly. You have to focus in on the game you're doing. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. Show brought to you by Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15, Hummel's Wharf online at sunburymotors.com. Ford Kia Hyundai, the best in new inventory, great pre-owned inventory with the Sunbury Motors guarantee. And a fabulous service department that backs it all up every step of the way for the life of your vehicle. Great technicians. All at Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15, Hummel's Wharf, and online at sunburymotors.com. Let's go to Augusta National now. The outstanding and the best in the business doesn't matter what topic it is, Jerry Dulac. My friend, it is wonderful to hear you again. Well, Steve, you know I always enjoy chatting with you and always enjoy coming on the show. 
Uh, it's my favorite event of the year. Last week I was at the NFL owners meetings, and now I changed my hat, and I'm down at the Masters. So let's talk about this. There's going to be overnight rain as this goes. What's the thought process on what it does to change the course and what it does to change the possibility of who could win on this course? Well, you know, Steve, first and foremost, I don't know how much it's going to rain, but I will say this. Uh, If any course is equipped to handle it, Augusta is because of that sub-air system that they have running underneath every hole, certainly every green. But, um, you know, and the other thing, too, it's a, you know, it's only, it's a field of 89 players. So if they get backed up because of the rain, uh, they're still able to jam things in. We've seen a 2T start, uh, put them off in threesomes, and with only 89 players, you know, even if they lose a day, a part of a day or a day, they could still make it work by uh, a Sunday. But, um yeah, I, I'll tell you somebody who it's going to affect, and he rolled his eyes when he was asked about the forecast yesterday, and that's Tiger Woods. You know, the last thing he wants to see is moisture and the temperature get cooler because yeah. it's just harder for him, uh, uh, most especially with his leg. But let's not for, forget, he's still, you know, he's had five back surgeries, so that's always that's always problematic in cooler, damp weather. Yeah, because... Uh... Like Mike Weir and Zach Johnson, who are not two of the longest hitters ever, when it was wet during the week, those two years ended up being guys that emerged. Uh, But one note about Tiger Woods. I, I listened to an interview we did on Sirius, and he talked about the joy of being there, the joy of the champion's dinner, uh, the great memories. But then when he talked about his game... He talked about his leg, and you know, Jerry, you've talked many times about that. Unless you're there, you have no idea how up and down this course is. Uh, And that making the cut's a big deal to him. I mean, I found that to be interesting, fun, and then sad all at the same time. Yeah, you're right about that, Steve. And even yesterday when uh, when he was in the media center... Uh, You know, he was talking about how last year, having not played at all, 14 months since that horrific car accident, he comes here and he makes the cut. And he says, I know I didn't get the W, which he calls a victory. He said, but that was a small victory in itself. Tiger Woods doesn't settle for small victories. He settles for big victories and only one kind of victory. But that just goes to show you how... um, uh, what a battle it was to, to be able to do that, to be able to walk that golf course, hobble around, and, and make the cut. Um, it, was a, it was a significant achievement. One, he puts up there. You know, for a guy who has 15 major titles, that was as rewarding a two rounds as he's probably ever played, short of a, court, short of a major championship. So, and he talked about all the hardware in his leg, but he also talked about it's his leg, it's my leg, and the fact that he has his leg. And he's very, I, you know, he's at the point now where he's just grateful and thrilled that he's able to play, and I don't mean play golf, but to still go out and play in a major championship. And, okay, maybe not compete, but, you know, not finish at the back of the pack either. And so he understands where he is. He said he accepts it. He's just glad that, you know, one, 
you know, one, he's alive, and two, he has his own leg. And so that's the way he says he's approaching everything right now. Yeah, that's a, that's a really great answer. Uh, obviously, there's going to be a week where a lot of people will wonder about the dynamics between the PGA Tour and Live. What have you sensed about it so far? Well, what I've sensed uh, over the last two days is, uh, you know, surprisingly, Steve, a little bit of a love fest between the between the two. Uh, guys playing practice rounds together, guys going out and having lunch, guys seeing each other and exchanging hugs and handshakes and smiles. Everybody's playing nice and talking nice. I don't think there's any question it'll be extremely captivating if on Sunday it's either Brooks Kepka or Bubba Watson or DJ in the hunt, Cam Smith, of course, who's the best of the players, number six in the world, one of those guys up there on the leaderboard challenging whomever it is, Scotty Scheffler, Jordan Spieth, Rory McIlroy, John Rahm. I mean, that made that <laughs> to me, that just makes as compelling a narrative on Sunday afternoon as you can find. Does it help the dynamic you're talking about that Greg Norman is not there? Oh, I don't think there's any question because Greg Norman is the, and I don't say this disparaging about Greg because mm-hmm. I like him. He's always yep. very nice to me. Um, but there's no question he's the thorn in the side of the PGA Tour. You know, he was out to develop this tour. He's had a, an axe to grind with them for years. When um, it goes all the way back to when they wouldn't allow him to play in the Australian PGA three decades ago. Um, and he is, you know, Jay Monahan and the tour are never going to sit down with Greg Norman. And I don't think Greg Norman has any uh, inclination to sit down with Jay Monahan. So, you know, Rory McElroy a couple months ago said if they got rid of Greg Norman, maybe they would be willing to sit down and talk. And he, again, I don't think that was a direct attack at Greg Norman as much as what he's saying is that's a, the, the tour is just never going to sit down and, and, and come up with some agreement with him. And like I said, Steve, I don't think he has any inclination to do so either. Yeah, in fact, I think Roy McElroy making that comment was just him analyzing the situation. It wasn't personal. Right, right. Yeah. Okay, so now the ability to play the course. We all know that Scotty Scheffler, he comes in off a off a you know, a win, he won you know coming into this thing. He's the defending champion. Is he gonna be one of the guys that you would put in that category of four or five that can win it? Oh, absolutely. I might narrow it down to one or two to be perfectly honest, certainly three. Yeah. Um, you know, he wins the players championship, he's the defending champ, gets to the semifinals in a match play. Um, even when he's off his game, he's in the top ten. Um, there's no question about it. Um, Scotty Scheffler has a great demeanor to play in major championships. Uh, you know, he's a tremendous player, drives the ball long, great iron play, great short game. Uh, there's no question about it. Um, you know, John Rahm is going to get a lot of the, uh, you know, betting action, if you will. Yeah. And you know me too, Steve. I'm a big Jordan Speed guy. Yeah, but nobody plays Augusta better than Jordan Spieth. He's been in the lead mm-hmm. nine times in his short career, and the only person who's ever had the lead after a round of the Masters more times is Tiger, and that's ten times. And Tiger's yeah. played in what twenty-four Masters. So right. uh, Jordan Spieth around here, 
uh, is, is uh, you know, he really is. He's a magician, uh, and he's been playing better. He hasn't been able to finish on the weekends, but he's been there. And it won't surprise me at all. And I know he missed the cut last year, but he was struggling. Wouldn't surprise me at all to see him hunting hunting here based on his track record at Augusta. You know what? I agree with that. And you know one of the reasons why? Because I think he, he came to an early understanding in, in this tournament. If you're going to miss, know where to miss. And that's something that's difficult for most pros to figure out on that course. Yeah, there's no question about it. And, and he knows that. Uh, the other thing he does, you know, the year he won, he made some ridiculous amount. And I want to say, and I think it's the record, when he tied the, cor- the uh, course record, I think he made like 28 birdies or something. Jordan Speed makes a ton of birdies. Where he yep. gets into trouble is he has too many, you know, too many big numbers. He makes too many doubles uh, here and there. Now he's cut back on those one, now that he's you know, uh, straighten his game out a little. But that's where he gets into trouble. It's, you know, the bogeys or the, mainly the doubles. Uh, but, uh, you know, he, he doesn't he doesn't putt like he used to. He's still, he's still a little jittery uh, with the putter, especially the short ones, you know, inside six feet, inside five feet. But I, I, I expect to see him. I expect to see him up on that board into the, into the weekend, Steve. There is an exclusive club that has three uh, uh, majors along the way. You know, guys like Phil and Tom Watson, and yes, Arnold Palmer, and of course, Rory McIlroy. McElroy, and Jordan Spieth's in that category, too. Right. McElroy has a chance to get to that career Grand Slam. We know he has the game. What do you think his chances are? You know, Steve, that, uh, he's another guy. Every year he comes to the Masters, I root for him because not only is he a world-class player, to me, when his game is on, he is the best player in the world, bar none. Uh, and, he, and, you know, he's a good guy. He's great for the game. And when he comes to Augusta, I always want to see him win because I think he deserves uh, the Grand Slam. And so it would be a, a great story if he did that. He's been playing well. We saw him get to the uh, semifinals of the match play as well. Uh, you know, he's he had it, he uh, fixed his driver problems with TaylorMade. He's bombing the ball again. It's such a great weapon for him. It's all going to come down to his putter for him. You know, his wedge game has gotten better. Uh, but I think that he's another guy uh, based on the way he's playing. Uh, I think he has a very good chance as well, and I would certainly like to see that happen. Uh, one quick note, and then I'll get to uh, you know your thoughts on who can win the thing. But I want to ask you about the NFL owners meeting. What did you? What were your takeaways from the NFL owners meetings that you just went to? You know, not there wasn't a whole lot that went on that was uh, uh, very compelling. Probably the biggest news was allowing them to wear the zero number on the jerseys again, but no yeah. double zero, no, no Jim Otto. I, I, you know, I thought there was some interesting proposals. They tabled the one from the Eagles, you know, the the uh, alternate uh, onside kick option, you know, give, you, give them the ball fourth and 20 and uh, instead of trying an onside kick. But the NFL, Steve, they're not into gimmicks, and they think that's gimmicky. And so I don't see those owners – ever ever passing that they tabled it again um i i thought that would have been i thought the, the kickoff option where you put the guys you line them on the opponents 35 and um you know they can't 
Uh, they can't start until the guy catches the ball. You know, they're, they're worried about safety, obviously, uh, with the players. And the kickoff is, you know, like, I mean, guys could really get hurt with those collisions. They're trying to minimize that, but they always say they're trying to minimize it. They're not trying to reduce it. They do not want to take the kickoff out of the game. Yeah, I agree they don't. And by the way, it's getting to the point where you and I are the ones that remember Jim Otto as a double zero as the center for the right, Raiders. Right. <laughs> right. That just means we have experience, Jerry. All right. Yeah, that's, that's right, Steve. It means we've been doing it a long time. Exactly. Yeah, it's called experience. It's 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 uh, it's, an attri- it, it's an attribute. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, Jerry, uh, in the end, we, this settles on on Sunday night. What do you think? Rory McIlroy, Steve, good. I think uh, I love yeah, it. he comes in in a, in a pretty good frame of mind. The key for him is getting off to a good start. If you go back, and I haven't computed the numbers, but I looked at him yesterday, a lot of 75s and 76 to start the Masters. You know, last year he shoots 64 in the final round. He holds out on 18. He even said yesterday it's one of the great moments in his career just, to, you know, to finish it off like that. Look, one year later, you don't ride the momentum of that. You just don't. It's a new year, it's new vibes. That doesn't carry over. But he's playing well. He's driving the ball great. Um, and he's coming in with a good frame of mind. And uh, I, I think I think this is, um, uh, you know, it's hard to repeat here. It's going to be hard for Scotty Shepard. Not too many yeah. guys, obviously, have done it. You have to go back to Tiger in 02. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I think Rory's the guy this year. It would be great for the game if he is the guy this year. Just a thought. I agree. Always a pleasure. Thanks so much for taking a valuable time at one of the great spots on the face of the earth to do it at Augusta National. Steve, always good chat with you, my friend. I'll look forward to doing it again. Thanks so much. All right. That is the great Jerry Dulac joining us from Augusta National. It's quite an hour. We had John Griffin on. We had Jerry Dulac on. It kept you from complaining. It really has been like a perfect storm. Here on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Several notes saying more guests, less whining. Well, Well, that's quite the opposite from yesterday's notes. If I just did that yesterday, it would appease you. <laughs> oh, my almighty! I'm just kidding you. Jeez. <laughs> the world loves you, you know. They want to hear more complaints. Now, so, what are you mad about now? <laughs> well, I mean, it's irrelevant at this point because the Yankees did win the game today. But I, I was... A little bit irked at uh, IKF because he made a very bad throwing error at third base when he came in for the again injured Josh Donaldson. Like, if you can't hit the ball, at least field the ball properly because that's something he can actually do is play defense. And he didn't do it there. It was a key point in the game, but then two pitches later, Garrett Cole had a brilliant pickoff move and picked off, I think it was, uh, I think it was Trey Turner at first. So, it's all good now. That's been a big part problem with the Phillies too, and they're and they're now one in one in uh, four or one in five start. Is they've been very bad on the bases. 
in their first two series. Oh, oh yeah, I'm sorry, you done? <laughs> okay, yeah. good. That's IKF, let's let's be a little cleaner in the field. That'd be great. Well, good. I'm glad you're able to get that off your chest. That's 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 great. Yeah. America loves your rants. You walk through wise markets. Hey, there's the rant guy. I'm a man of the people. Any rants here on aisle four? <laughs> have have you actually had people walk up to you and ask you, hey, what's your latest rant? Now that I haven't had happen yet. Oh, it's going to. Wait till you go out in public. I could I could see now. Having dinner over at Penn's Tavern and where's the rant guy? What do you think? I'll have to be ready, I guess. Ready? What are you talking about? Ready. And when it comes when it comes to whining, moaning, and complaining, you're born ready. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's true. <laughs> uh, oh yeah. So <laughs> All right, uh, Heather Denich, whom we've had in the show before, uh, interviewed uh, Mike Yurcich. I think Heather's here. Um, I did see that. Yeah, she was visiting somebody's class, I believe. Yeah, I mean, well, Heather used to work here, you know. That's right. Yes, and she works in She used to live in Atherton. Yep. Uh, said that quote on Drew Aller, he makes some throws that will make you say, wow, he's such a big body, but he can really maneuver the body well, which I've said many times. He moves better than people realize. So he's hard to bring down. You need three arms on him at least. He can stand in there. He doesn't need much space. He's really got good vision. He keeps his eyes downfield incredibly well for a young guy. And you know what's interesting about that? You also you know, want to know who else has had a really good spring? Bo Prabula. I mean, that's that's the big to me it's it's a spring practice so you take things in the realm of it is a spring practice but in this spring practice the two quarterbacks have made strides back tomorrow and I'm telling you he is going to come out with all everything blazing tomorrow. I can just tell. He's already building up the anger as we speak. Especially if um, I get nauseated from all the Tiger media coverage. I don't want to look. He says his goal is to make the cut. Yeah, all good right. for him. I just don't want to hear that. That. Uh, Oh, I feel so bad about his back. Oh, I feel so bad about his leg wow. because it's because of the bad weather. Like enough. Hey, he's had five back surgeries and a an accident where he almost lost his life and he almost lost his leg. At some point, point sympathy does have to enter into it. <laughs>